All right, get your Bible, open it up to the book of 1 John. Andrew did a fantastic job of reading that passage, man. I don't know about you, but when he reads the Bible, I start getting like jumpy, you know. And, uh, and uh, he's the father of a new baby, and so I'm surprised he was standing upright. Well, but uh, congratulations. You feeling rested, Andrew? Okay, good. Good, man. So we're in this series called A Better Life, and what we're really doing is discovering what 1 John is all about. John, the apostle, wrote 1 John in about 60, 70 AD, something like that. He wrote it to a group of Christians in a fledgling church much like ours. Now, not all of you may be Christians. I I get it. We have people come every week that are invited by others, and and you may not be a follower of Jesus Christ, or maybe you were at one time, but you've been out of the church, and for whatever reason you find yourself here. I I get it, and I want you to know that you're warmly welcomed into this community. But John is writing a letter to a group of Christians who are dealing with some false teachers. So people that are coming in and confusing them as to what it means to walk with God and to fellowship with God. And what John has done is he has, throughout his letter, used phrases like beloved. We don't use that phrase a lot today, but when I'm talking to people that I love, uh, I might say friend or brother or sister. Uh, it's, a, it's a term of endearment. So John's approach in his letter is very loving and gentle. And imagine that as we're opening the scriptures that we're sitting in my living room or yours, if you'd be weird to come to my house, uh, we're sitting in our li- somebody's living room and, and I'm talking to you firmly but gently and lovingly. And so he's already brought up themes like in the first few verses of chapter one, like God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. And we ought to walk in the light. If you claim to walk in the light but yet live in the darkness, you're a liar. Last week he talked about sin. And then this week he's talking about what it looks like when a group of people who follow Christ are truly walking in the light. And here is the main idea this morning. Write it down if you're taking notes. Walking in the light results in us growing in our love for one another. Walking in the light results in us growing in our love for one another. He says there in verse 7, I am writing you a new, no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is a word that you heard, which makes us think of, okay, where is this old commandment? Certainly we would think of the Old Testament, Leviticus, where, where there's the word, the command to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. We also think of John chapter 13, verse 34. So if you're in the gospel of John, you can get there quickly. Jesus is speaking near the end of his life prior to his death, burial, and resurrection. And he's talking to his closest disciples. And he says these words to them. A commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. You're my followers. You're people who represent me. If you have love for one another. John goes on in verse 8 of 1 John to say, At the same time, it's a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away. Now, there's a phrase there in verse 8 of 1 John chapter 2 that's really interesting, because the idea that we're to love one another, it's not a new commandment, something that we've already received, And there's something about this kind of behavior between one another that causes the darkness to be lifted. It's not like 
the, the light comes and the dark just goes away. No, it's like there is darkness. And what love does is it dispels the darkness. So powerful. The true light, according to 1 John, is already shining. I want you to understand something this morning that the Bible teaches that Jesus is the true light. And what it means is that the life and the work of Jesus illuminates the world with his loving redemption. So we love one another, not just because we have some moral, some moral conscience about it. It's because we see the way in which Jesus has loved us. I know many of you can think of ways in which Jesus has loved you. We sang a song, you have redeemed my soul from the pit of emptiness. That's one of my favorite all-time worship songs. Jesus has loved us by rescuing us from our spiritual deadness and giving us life and hope and meaning and purpose. As this light that is the love of Jesus spreads into our hearts, it begins to spread into the world and the darkness disperses. I am not going to bring to your minds the way in which we see darkness in our world. I don't want to do that. Never been into reporting the news. But it won't be hard for you to think of something in our world that is clearly darkness. Some activity, some conflict, some injustice in our world and even in our own city. John chapter 12, verse 46, Jesus says, I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. Now, it's important that you understand this concept of light because we know from the scriptures that God is called light. And it's not like the physical light that fills this room, but it means true and holy and righteousness. So when it says that God is light or Jesus has come into the world as light, he's come into the world as truth, as holiness, as righteousness, the way, the answer. Jesus Christ as the light began to shine far brighter, the, brighter than ever before. So God as the truth and as the light, as holiness as the light, as righteousness as the light, it's illuminated the world since the beginning. But in Jesus, this light is like a beam focused and the effects of it are love. Let me illustrate it in this way. And this really should make a lot of sense to those of you that are nerds. Raise your hand if you're a nerd. Oh, oh, there's more of you than that. Okay, here we go. So let's talk a little bit about light. So the light from the sun is called ordinary light. It's made by uh, many different colors and wavelengths spreading out in all directions. So for a light to be a white light, like the kind of light you have in your bathroom, it's when you put all of these different colors together although the wavelengths are still not synchronized. However, if you put one color, multiple uh, versions of them together, and you synchronize those wavelengths, focusing them all in the same direction, what do you get? What? A laser. Mona, way to go. I think that was Mona. Now, those of you that are Star Wars fans ought to really, really understand this because as you know lasers can be made powerful enough to cut through metal lasers are being developed for use in things like military combat even to this day there is a movement in military combat called laser warfare 
And if you take the different wavelengths of light and you take one color of it, you put it together and you synchronize the wavelength, when, wherever that's directed has, is affected. Here's, here's my point. Light, like the light in this room, affects us all passively. So God, as the true light, affects the world, everybody, even people that don't follow him, uh, he's, they're affected by God. It's called common grace. But a focused light changes things dramatically. Jesus is that focused light. Jesus is the true light, the focused light. Everything's synchronized through Jesus. All of God's presence and power is in and through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And this affects people. And the way that it affects people is through the love of Christ. Like a laser, it changes things dramatically. Now some of you may be here and you know you're the kind of person that's walking in darkness. So when I say Jesus is the light, and he says that if you don't follow him as the light, then you're walking in darkness, you know that that's talking about you. You say, what do I do? Well, there's good news. The good news of the Bible, it's really the narrative of the Bible, is that though we're separated from God because of our sin, God made a way in Jesus through his death, his burial, and resurrection for our sin to be forgiven and for us to experience this new life, walking in the light of God, fellowshipping with God. What you ought to do is believe that, tell God, I recognize that I'm separated from you, I'm walking in darkness, and I don't want to walk in darkness anymore. That's no way to live. And what happens to you is that the Bible describes you as being somebody who goes from being an enemy of God to becoming a friend of God. Many of you have already made that decision. And so moving forward, what do we do? But now you get to become a light bearer. This torch is handed to you because your life has been impacted by the laser love of Jesus Christ. Now you get to be the kind of person that affects others with this light. Remember, love is walking in the light and hate is walking in the darkness. Verse 9, whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there's no cause for stumbling. So we, in an ongoing kind of way, we walk in the light and if we do that, then we will be the kind of people, we will not be the kind of people who cause others to stumble as they're walking in the light of the love of Jesus Christ. Say, well, how how do I love? Okay, so really practically, how do I love? I get it. It's not a difficult concept. Love one another. Um, Do any of you remember that 80s Christian group called DC Talk? Anybody? Can I get a witness up in here? I got two hands at the back. Got the soundboard. So when I was in the eighth grade, I went on a mission trip to Denver, Colorado, 
And for whatever reason, I had my like Walkman, and that was back in the days where you know you only if you were you know you had like a cassette, you know. And so I had my little like fuzzy round earphones, and I thought it was so cool. I was walking around, and all I did was listen to DC talk. Love is a verb, you know. I was I was that guy, you know. I thought the ladies kind of liked it, you know, because I'd be like, love is a verb, you know. Anyway, so so forgive me if you're new to the church and you don't understand this really weird subculture in Christianity, which I'm really like trying to keep it an arm's length, but, um, but there's this phrase in here talking about love. So here you go. Um, words come easy, but don't mean much. When the words they're saying, we can't put trust in. We're talking about love in a different light. And if we all learn to love, it would just be right. Oh, I thought somebody on the drums back there, I'll do this. <laughs> hey, tell me, haven't you heard? Love is a serious word. Now, just so you know, in the lyrics, it's not spelled L-O-V-E, it's spelled L-U-V. Is really hood. <laughs> hey, I think it's time you learned. I don't care what they say. I don't care what you heard. The word love, love is a verb. So loving is something we do, not just some sort of mental assent to the idea. We are to love one another. You say how? In, and I want to talk specifically about in the life of this church. And if you're new to this church, you're just checking it out. Maybe you're shopping around for churches. Um, what I would encourage you to do is just to hear this and to know that this is, for the most part, true in this community. And we're working on it, um, but there's really three ways that we learn to love one another. First of all, presence. Everybody say presence. This must be good because I'm sweating. All right, presence. Here's how we love one another. We're committing ourselves to the time necessary to develop real, authentic relationships with other in the body. Presence. We're showing up to things. We're showing up to one another's lives. We're making time for it. We're prioritizing it. If you live your Christian faith without prioritizing the Christian community and gathering with other believers, it will hurt you and it will affect the church. And I know, I know, I know you're busy. So am I. I got four kids too. I I, I get it. I work three jobs. I get it. But if you believe that the world will see who Jesus is by the way in which we love one another, it will help you to understand that you must be present in the lives of other people. Not only does that include like prioritizing the gathering on a Sunday morning of the believers, which certainly is a command of scripture, but it means prioritizing things like home groups or if for whatever reason that doesn't work for you, finding your smaller group, initiating some of that in, in outside of just Sunday morning so that you can have real conversations. I mean, this is truly, this kind of a setup is the least effective way to disciple you. Me telling you, talking to you for 25, 30 minutes. But where real discipleship, authentic love grows is in those kind of knee-to-knee conversations over a cup of coffee. You say, well, what do I do? Well, here's what you ought to do really practically. Invite somebody to a meal or to coffee and sit down and ask them, what's your story? Tell me your story. This is something that I try to do, and as we've grown, it's become more difficult. We have lots of new people. But I try to do it with the new people. Just sit in and I just ask the question, what's your story? Where'd you come from? Where'd you grow up? Tell me about your family. There's something so powerful about getting getting into another person's life, hearing their story that helps us to develop a true, honest, real love for them. So presence is so important. Second thing, patience. Everybody say patience. Patience. 
Patience in the life of the church is really about walking with each other, especially when they're struggling or they're failing or they're doubting. I've said from the beginning, and I'll continue to say as long as I'm the pastor of this church, I want this church to be the kind of church that people can be a part of and struggle and still, still feel loved. I want this to be the kind of church that when you or I fail to obey God in the way that we should, that we will still be loved. Or when we doubt that there will still be love. We must be patient with one another. If you're frustrated with somebody, I know there are times where I, where I personally have to pray this, through this kind of a thing because I'm wired with a sense of like nothing's ever good enough. That's just, it's my story. But I have to ask God, God, give me patience with this situation and that situation because I want to walk with people and love them really, really well. Third thing that we must do as an act of love, and oftentimes people will stop with those first two. The third thing is we must prod. Everybody say prod. prod. It's a weird word, I know, but it starts with a P and so do the other two. <laughs> Prodding is a way in which we love others. We challenge them to grow in their walk. We have, especially in our day, man, if you're being challenged in your life about your behavior, the way you think, then it's seen as unloving or bigoted, right? But truly, if we love each other and we're committed to one another, then we will come to times where we challenge one another. And if there's trust and grace and mercy then rather than offending them or being offended, what we ought to do is go, you know what, I, I know they love me, and so they're challenging me. And I ought to think about what they're saying. In a real relationship, and certainly this is true in the life of the church, there will nearly always be tough conversations. Think about it. It's perfectly illustrated in a marriage you see, because a marriage, and I'm very in tune with what it's like to be married. I did two, mar- two weddings this weekend, one Friday night, one Saturday night. And as I'm sitting there between these couples, leading them to think about their marriage, what I know is that they're committing to one another that until the day one of them dies, they're sticking with this. But I also know that they will come to a point or a day where they don't feel like loving one another. I know it's hard to imagine, especially if you're young and super in love. But there will be a point where there will be some tough conversations and they will need to prod one another along challenging one another. And the reason that they ought to stay is because they love one another. It's the same is true in the life of our church. I hope you feel challenged. I hope you feel prodded. If you do not in the life of this church, frankly, you ought to find another one. Love is the obligation of all those that have received the gospel. Now, here's what I know, and I'm beginning to wrap this up. We all fall short of the standard of loving one another. Sometimes when we see a passage like this and we hear about the command to love one another, when we're challenged with the idea of presence and patience and prodding, what, I don't know about you, but the way I feel sometimes is like, man, I do not measure up. I fall short. Things begin to be chaotic in our hearts 
and sometimes it, the stress level rises and we are unsure of ourselves in the midst of this. I have no doubt that this is what John's readers felt as he's telling them that they must love one another deeply and that this is a commandment that is fresh in them and laser focused through the work of Jesus Christ. I have no doubt, which is why in verse 12 through 14, what he does is he tells them who they are. He reminds them, and I'm going to tell you who you are in Christ. This is kind of like during the school year when I see in my own children, the stress levels begin to rise. It's really... Uh, accentuated, especially during like testing during the year, and I see in them stress, and they are young enough that they don't even know what it's about, but I see that they just are like so much pressure that they're about to pop. And I have found already, as I understand my role as a parent, that one thing that I get to do in that moment is I'm not trying to explain to them why standardized testing is important for the educational system. I mean, who cares? They don't care. I don't even really care, frankly. Um, But what I know in that moment that I get to do as their father is I get to remind them who they are. I get to tell them. I get to speak into them. And so on more than one occasion, many occasions, one of my kids will be sitting in their bed and I will whisper into them what's true about them. And this is what John does in verses 12 through 14. So what I would say to my kids is you are smart. You are a hard worker. You are loved deeply by me and your mom. God has created you for a purpose. This is sort of like what John is doing. Look in verse 12. I'm just going to read these and speak these over you as a blessing. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. All those of you that are in Christ, this is true about you. Verse 13, because you know him who is from the beginning. Because you have overcome the evil one. So if you're feeling unsure of yourself, you're feeling insecure, unsettled, because you realize that you've fallen short just like I do on loving one another, here's what's true about you. I'm writing to you, children, because you know the Father. Verse 14, I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you because you are strong and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. So all hope is not lost. You can love one another. If we love one another deeply and fully, the world will know we are disciples of Jesus Christ by our love for one another. So I just want you to think about this. What is a way that you can love another person in the life of this church this week? Is it a kind text? Email? Maybe you want to love this community by taking on some responsibility on a setup team or teardown team or working with the kids or host team. Zori has loved this community really, really well, and this is why we celebrate this. Do you need to initiate a conversation with somebody, knowing even that it will be a tough conversation? You want to prod them along. How will you love somebody else in this community this week? Do you need to prioritize home groups that meet during the week in different places at different times for those need-to-need conversations? How will you love others well. Do you need to be generous to somebody? You know that somebody in the life of the church has a need financially and they've not made people aware of it, but you know it. Maybe you want to be generous to them. Maybe that's how you'll love them well. If we love one another well, here's what will happen, is the world will get to see what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. This has been our mission all along. We're inviting busy people to experience the peace of life with Jesus Christ. This is how we talk about mission. 
which means we care deeply for one another, connecting to one another, connecting to God, and we care deeply for restoration to happen locally in our community through the gospel work of Jesus Christ. How will you love one another? I want to close with this illustration and be done. So when I was a kid, I grew up in Oklahoma. Have you ever been to Oklahoma? Raise your hand if you've ever been to Oklahoma. You ever heard the joke? Why doesn't Texas float off into the Gulf? Because Oklahoma sucks. That's not true. I grew up there. <laughs> I grew up in Oklahoma. And in Oklahoma, especially where I lived, is what's called Tornado Alley, which means that tornadoes came through there frequently. And when I was a child, we were very poor. My mom was divorced and remarried. And when they remarried, we were very poor. And we lived in a trailer. So, in case you're wondering, I'm sure you know, I grew up hood. All right? I, I am hood. So I grew up in a trailer. And, and every year during tornado season, tornadoes would, would threaten the city. And when you live in a trailer during a tornado, those two things are a terrible combination. <laughs> And I remember that what would always happen is the storm was threatening the neighborhood, that electricity would go out, and on more than one occasion, I would be laying in my bed, awakened by thunder, but it was so dark, I couldn't even see my hand in front of my face. Now, as a kid, that's terrifying. And I can remember as a child laying there under the covers, terrified, unsure of what is going to happen. But then I would hear my father's voice, and he would say, Russell, come to the light. You see, he knew. He had been there. He himself had experienced darkness, and he knew what to do. He had a light. It was like a lantern. And so I would get out of bed, not trusting my own experience in darkness, but trusting that my father's voice was trustworthy and then if I could find him, I would find the light. Find the light. I would stumble around, make my way out of my bedroom into the hallway, and I would look across the living room, and there he would be with the light. There's something about when you've been in darkness, finding light. In Christ, there is light. Some of you are invited by the Father to experience the light this morning. What you ought to do is repent of your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin. Still others of you have the light in you and what you ought to do with the light is begin calling out, hey, follow the light. There's no need to be in darkness. And you know the people around you God has placed in your life and though they walk in darkness, they will someday Walk in the light because of your witness, because of your calling. I pray that this is true about us, and that we would love each other well, and in turn, love our community well, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together.